All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our Dialogues on Applied Channel Theory. I am Jason Robertson in Seattle, and I am sitting here uh, this early morning in Seattle with Jonathan Cheng in Beijing, and it's late night there. Uh, John is a night owl, and I'm a, I'm a kind of a morning frenetic person, so we got we've met here in a good meeting place on our different parts of the planet, and what we want to talk about today is actually a very a relatively simple and straightforward concept that has a lot of good clinical application. And it's the idea of the location and palpation of back shoe points, the back transport points. And uh, good morning, John, or good evening. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, good morning, Jason. It's uh, nice to talk to you again about applied channel theory. Yeah, I mean, we could do this. I could keep you up till two in the morning. Uh, we, <laughs> once we get rolling, I'll get, we'll get excited. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I, I guess one thing, I, the way I want to begin this is, is just a little story. Uh, I, uh, you know, had been studying probably with Dr. Wong. I can't remember the year that where this story is going to come from, but I think it was probably like, I don't know, 2006 or something like that. I was in Beijing. Uh, we had a group of students coming to study with Dr. Wong. It, it might've been much later than that. It was, uh, and we were in uh, the, I guess it was the Hugo Hugo is it Hugo 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 Hospital. That must Hospital. be in 2012 or so. 2012, so later, right? Do you 13, maybe yeah. you even remember this? Because there was a point where Dr. Wong started to talk about the back shoe points with greater clarity than he had before. That's what I guess mm -hmm. we should say is that, like, and John, you and I were talking about this a minute ago. There's like so many ideas that were in Dr. Wong's head that, like, only once he was pretty sure he had something that he could count on to say about them, then he would start talking about them. So mm -hmm. of course he'd been thinking about this, I'm sure for decades probably, and needling back shoe points for all his life as an acupuncturist. But there was one point where he was like really excited and being like, look, you know, we've talked earlier in these podcasts about the acupuncture channels and them being, you know, always kind of these empty spaces. And he's like, look, here are the empty spaces where the back shoe points are. So where did Dr. Wong locate the back transport points, the back shoe points? Talk about that a bit. Uh, oh, you want me to talk about it? I want you to talk yes. about it. Yeah. Oh, you want me to talk about it? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I guess in, in textbooks, usually they locate it on like, they say in the highest point of the, the um, paraspinal, what's it called? The paraspinal muscles? Yeah, it depends on the, on the upper and lower part of the bladder channel. It's a different group of muscles. But yeah, those muscles mm -hmm. we all know about, you know, mm -hmm. 1.5 cent lateral of the midline. Mm -hmm. I feel like a hill, so, a mountain there. So Dr. Warren, again, it goes back to his concept of what are the channels, right? He says they are in the spaces between the, the flesh, right? So they're on the, so in the crevices. So in, in like on the back, for example, what, where he would locate the action points are in the spaces between the different muscles on the back. So if we palpate from the, the dew vessel, from the spine, when we palpate in a lateral direction, we just kind of, you can, you can feel it. You just roll over like one group of muscles. And that's the, I guess the first group of, uh, the, the paraspinal muscles and you roll over that and you fall into this very clear space, that lateral space. And that is where Dr. Wong would needle the um, first line of the back shoe points. And then the, uh, the second line of the urinary uh, bladder channels, you just roll over another muscle in that area. And you just roll and over that. And that one's harder to side. feel the second line, right? Yeah, it can be very, th it depends on the individual. Some people it's thicker, some people it's thinner, but generally it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, you can still feel it though. I think you can generally, if you just slowly or just gently just kind of roll over those muscles starting from the, the spine and move outwards, it's quite easy to, to feel. Yes. Yeah. So that, I mean, the long, longissimus thoracis is one of the muscles that you kind of roll over mm -hmm. as you go. And it, mm -hmm. it depends. I mean, it's, it's a mound of a, of a 
of a, a bunch of different muscles coming together there. But we all know that from acupuncture school. But, so just to clarify then, because this is what was a real revelation to me. And really, this is after I'd, you know, like over, well over a decade after I first met Dr. Wong and began studying with him that he was pointing this out. So there's a lot of time that had passed clinically before he was telling us this. Uh, so for those listening, what he was saying is not to locate the back shoe points at the high point of that muscle, but instead to roll over into the kind of belly on the outside, the lateral side of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then what we find with Dr. Wong, he, so when he would needle the, uh, the, like the thoracic part of the, the back shoe points, he would, very clear spaces too, right? You can feel like where the clear depressions where like the, each back shoe point should be located, like the hard back shoe point or the, I don't know the number, sorry. Uh, yeah, you'd be yeah, 15 for the heart or... For example, so like when you feel that, you can actually feel once you get to that point on the lateral border of that muscle, there's also an area where you can, you have to carefully palpate for the actual location of the back shoe point. And there's a much clearer depression where each point is located. Um, and that's where we're actually, when we examine the back shoe points, that's where we're actually like feeling, right? Palpating in those areas to see um, if there are any changes or what you can find. Um, and so what do you often find either as a diagnostic tool or as another way of like how you really nail the perfect location for needling those points in and that river there. Yeah, I would say it's both, right? So sometimes using like Dr. Wong in his clinical practice, he would use like the back shoe points, uh, one for a diagnosis, right? So like if like the distal palpation is not clear sometimes and you're, and especially for, for more complex cases, like doing palpation of the dew vessel and then uh, palping the related uh, back shoe points to see if there are any changes on that, that can help with your, your diagnosis, right? So for example, a patient with insomnia, because insomnia can be caused by a number of different organs in disharmony. But if you're palping the back shoe points and say you find changes at like the heart back shoe point and kidney back shoe point, like much mm -hmm. clearer changes, then that would definitely clarify your diagnosis in, in, so that you would decide to, oh, I'll just communicate the heart and kidney, right? Right, right. Uh, or the, yeah, that, checking, yeah, UB17, 18, gallbladder, liver area. Mm, more of a Julian right. diagnosis. So a way of using back shoe palpation to kind of confirm or deny your hypothesis from the right. distal channel palpation. That's a cool right. idea too. Yeah. Right. So for Dr. Ryan, not even though he might find changes at those points, he might not have used those back shoe points. He still might've just treated the patient using distal points, but so just for diagnosis, it was useful. Mm. But then for other patients, he would use, you know, the back shoe points. Like if he was going to um, use those points, he would, you know, palpate and also, you know, needle the, the, the most relevant point. And I know that I heard like, I know you've, we've talked about this in the past, but I know that you, you enjoy, you like to palpate the back shoe points on your patients, right? I would say almost every single patient, mm -hmm. I palpate the back. Actually, and what do you find? Yeah. Well, let me be really clear. And this is a bit of a differentiation, I guess. And this is just my own habit clinically is that I, I do a very thorough distal channel palpation, of course, on every patient while talking and creating my diagnosis. And, you know, and I have not been doing with the, in the way you just described enough, using the back palpation as a way of confirming or denying what I've found in the distal channel. So let's be clear. You said that that's a great idea, but it's not what I've been doing. So I actually probably need to start doing that more. But what I do instead is that I then, you know, do my distal needling and then the person turns over face down. And so then I'm palpating. Uh, as kind of like the second part of the treatment. I've already taken needles out in the first part. And then the person turns over and I go to the back and I do a very short back treatment on almost every patient. And sometimes that part of the treatment's only five or 10 minutes long. And it's, you know, not too many needles, but on every patient I go to the back 
And I look at it as like whatever I've done in the, whatever I've decided based on my diagnosis using tongue and pulse and distal channel palpation and asking of questions, whatever, you know, channel I treated, say it was, you know, Jain, say it was some sort of liver pericardium pattern. Then when the person turns over, I go to the liver pericardium areas and I, then I really, and I give or take a few vertebra up or down a few vertebra, but I want to find something in the liver and pericardium areas to kind of emphasize the distal treatment I just did. So I do it as a way of like adding one more layer of emphasis, or as I almost think of it as like you did the distal channel treatment to kind of open up the channels and send a broad signal to the body. And then going to the back shoe points, you do a short secondary part of the treatment to kind of say, and now go here as a way of like guiding it to the organs that we were treating distally. So it's a little bit of a different way of using it, but the palpation is still the same within this river. So it's, I need to think about what you're saying. So if you're doing that, the back shoe like treatment to do, if you don't find any changes, for example, at the liver back shoe point or heart back shoe point, will you still use those points or will you go to palpate another point or, or, or will you, know, you still use it? I mean, the, the interesting liver thing point? is, I, it's certainly not every time, but 80% or more of the time, the stuff you found in the distal channels is confirmed in, in the back shoe points. It's like so often it's accurate. But if I go to those back shoe points and there's really nothing there, then also I may begin to, at least in my brain, think maybe I missed the diagnosis, actually. Okay. So that's why I probably should be palpating before to confirm it. That's why I'm interested in what you're saying. But it's so often there is, you'll be stunned by how often you've found all this stuff on the liver channel and you turn them over and there it is that you'd be, you know, it's, you know, 17, 18, 19 is a zone. Give it a couple vertebra up and down, but there's something around the liver. It's, and even on the right more, the liver organ itself, you'll mm -hmm. find something. Uh, but uh, I try, in other words, what I, I guess one of the big points I'm trying to say is I try to make my back treatment connect to my distal channel treatment. And so, yes, maybe if I didn't find something in the heart area on that patient, I still might needle that point because of the, to emphasize what I did on the treatment. I don't have to find palpated change to needle the point. So if you do find a change, like what are common changes you find at the back shoe points? Yeah. So that's, that, this is the hard thing to convey in a podcast, right? Like how do we teach people this stuff, you know, in an audio function without visual or without really even better being in, in person. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of imagine yourself if you're listening to this palpating, not along that high point on someone's back. So right now we're talking about the medial back shoe line, not the lateral one. because The medial one's easier to palpate, I think. And you go over that muscle mass into that river, lateral to it, kind of under, within the belly over there, or no, next to the belly in that kind of space we're trying to describe. And what it often feels like to me is not a nodule, not the same kind of things we feel in the distal channels below the elbows and knees. Instead, it's like a low-grade tension. It's like a, mm -hmm. like a, a it's the, the tone of the muscle, the tone of yeah. the fascia in there is different. And that low-grade tension often does correspond to tenderness to the person, too. And it, so it's not, it's not a huge, obvious change. You have to kind of slow down. You have to, like, really focus. And so that's one place. Is that how it feels to you, by the way, before I go on? Yeah, yeah definitely agree. Like, tightness at that area or, like, like a tension at the, like, when you press into it. Like, there's, like, a, there's some kind a of tension. Sponginess. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, is yeah, the yeah, right yeah. way to describe it? Yeah. And again, we're not talking about in the muscle belly. It's like mm -hmm. it's in the connective tissue next to it. It's like it's bound, mm -hmm. maybe is the way to talk about it. But, mm -hmm. it. but small, using the side of the thumb. And the other thing is sometimes, I don't, I mean, of course, and Dr. Wong did this as well. This is not, you know, my idea. But at the same time, 
palpating along lateral to the spine in the Fatwajaji zone, uh, yeah. you'll feel at that level often another time, and sometimes even easier right, right, yeah, yeah. tension there that corresponds yeah, yeah. also at the same level of the back shoe point where you're looking. And so yes, often there's stuff in both. So I'm going also up and down the spine, lateral to the spine, you know, just 0.5 lateral right in there. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a similar tension. So using those things usually correspond to each other. There's something in, well, the, you use, the in that case. Well, you, sorry. In that case, would you use both of those points? If you find out the Jaggi point and the back shoe point tightness, I'm will still you use way more likely to use the bladder back shoe point than the Jaggi point. Sometimes I might use the Jaji point and then it's a different needle. So we should talk a bit about needle technique too. Mm -hmm. When I find that tension along the Jaji points and I th this is, I think, correct me. I can't, sometimes, you know, after all these years, you can't remember like, what is it something that you do or you, you're, you've just started doing, or was it something Dr. Wong taught? But I'm pretty sure <laughs> the way he needled those back shoe points was like a shallow transverse needle, a 1.5 swim needle instead of perpendicular deep. I can't remember how he always needled the, the back shoe, sorry, the Jaji points, the Jaji points. Uh, the Jaji points, not the back shoe points. Yeah, sorry, the Jaji points. We'll talk about back okay. shoe in a second. The Jaji ones, yeah. when I find that tension on the spine, I take a one and a half ton needle and I just go transverse and shallow through that tension, but not like, not deep in. I do sometimes needle deep at, at the Jaji points, but not for like treating the internal organ kind of thing. Right. That, I would remember. Yeah. I would say that like when I observed Dr. Wang, he generally did not use the Jaji points that much. He would either use the back shoe points or the like the main dew vessel points. If he was going to use the Jaji points, yeah, I think he would use like a, the one and a half inch needle. Yeah, and he would stick it in. But I don't know if he was always going for like needling deeply, right? Like what you're saying, I think it was also based on what he's feeling and palpation and then he's getting... Yeah, it wasn't a necessarily deep go for it. No, like, no, no, you know, no. Like a musculoskeletal kind of trigger point no, no, idea. No. It's, it's no. still this idea, once again, of kind of releasing the fascia kind of next to it more than deep in there. Yeah. Anyway, and then, but yeah, we should say a bit about how he needled in that river that we're talking about, the, let's say the main bladder line, 1.5 swim mm -hmm. lateral of the spine. Describe how he needled that and how you so, needled um, also. Uh, so, so the way I needle is based on like, you know, my observations of Dr. Wang's method. So in the thoracic region, so in like the, you know, where the, the ribs are, that region, <clears throat> he would needle differently from what's described in the textbooks, right? Textbooks say you have to needle at an angle, right? Mm -hmm. But Dr. Wang would take just a one inch needle and he would needle uh, perpendicularly. So straight into the, the, the channel space, mm -hmm. and, but he wouldn't needle deeply. So he would needle very shallowly at those, those points on the- So we're the talking what, version. like, uh, you know, half a ton, a third of a ton? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I would say like, 0.3, 0. 0.5 or so, uh -huh. like not very deeply at, at all. Yeah, depending yeah, yeah. Depending on the size of the person, yeah. Yeah, and then he would get, you know, pretty good traveling sensations and the patients would, oh yeah, I feel soreness or I feel traveling sensation there. And I think people had asked him like, oh, why don't, shouldn't you, like, why don't you needle, what happens if you needle, what's it called, trend? Is it trend? Yeah, it would be like a medial and an angle. Yeah, yeah, obliquely, yeah, 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 yeah. So if you needle at an angle, um, well, why don't you do it that way? And then Dr. Wong would say, well, if you do it that way, then you're not getting into the channel space. You're going over the channel space, right? Into another, into the muscle, right? You're not going into the, what we're talking about is the river, like the actual uh, physical space where the channels are located. So that's why he liked to needle perpendicularly, but he would needle very shallowly, in a shallow way in the, um, in the thoracic region. But further down you go to like, you know, the kidney back point, then he would use a one half inch needle, also needling perpendicularly. 
So yeah, of course, the key is when you're needling in this space, and maybe that's just part mm -hmm. of why we are taught to needle into the muscle mm -hmm. belly. If you're needling in this space Dr. Wong is talking about, of course, it is easier to get between the ribs and hit the lung if you're not careful. So it is a mm -hmm. slightly more tricky spot to needle without hurting people. So that's mm -hmm. maybe that it's just for pure safety reasons in a way, like modern TCM is teaching us to needle on the top of the belly. But Dr. Mm -hmm. Wong, the reason, of course, Dr. Wong finally started talking about this is because he began to find that it was more clinically effective to mm -hmm. do it in this way. So you're kind of, so it, it would, is it correct to say, John, in a way you're almost needling to the top of the rib or at least between the rib or how do the ribs relate to this? Do you feel the ribs when you're needling there? I would say that from when I needle, I, I just needle very shallowly. So I don't try to get too deep. So I'm just trying to get into like a space between two muscles. So I don't, when I, I don't feel like the tip of needle. You're not trying to feel a rib. You don't want to feel No, 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 no. Yeah. I just needle very superficially. Sometimes just 0 0.1, 0 0.2 or 0 0.3. Like, and depending on the, you know, the, the thickness of the patient's back, right? Yeah. Some people have very thick muscles, some people very thin. So you have to be cautious still when needling these points. Um, but I think like generally, if you needle shallowly, you, you can still get into that space and you just do very gentle, like kind of like the thrusting kind of technique mm -hmm. and you can get a little, I just try to get some kind of soreness or traveling sensation. Yeah, that's the other mainly question. soreness. So, yeah, yeah. so people, you're also trying to get the person to feel something. It's more subtle than below elbow and knees feeling often, right? But that you yeah. do, on the other hand, want them to feel something, right? Right. I, I generally tell them, you know, like the sensation here is much different from what we get at, for example, the distal points, right? Like yeah. you won't get that like, woo, that's like traveling going down. Right. Um, so usually very subtle, like soreness or low traveling, tingling, a little bit of tingling, but that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's been I don't know. How, how do you do it? Yeah. I mean, very similar. Um, and it just gets down to that. Like I'm trying to get the patient to feel these points, but I would say a significant amount of time, they don't feel much when we're needling mm -hmm. in this space. And so it does come down to the practitioner also what you said feeling that you're in that empty space and the more you do this the more you kind of know that you're in that space where some people say they feel it and other people some people are just very disconnected i think from the sensations mm -hmm. of their back a little bit yeah and so yeah. It, it's not i would say i mean when i'm doing points below the elbows and knees like seven or eight times out of ten they're significant noticeable maybe even nine times out of ten people feel those points and they feel a traveling sensation. They feel significant mm -hmm. cheese sensation, but in these back points, it's different. I'm not mm -hmm. wedded to the idea that they must feel it as much as I am trying to on the faraway right. points. Is that what you're so, noticing yeah. too? Yeah, definitely. But I think what I also find interesting, even though like the sensations are subtle, but they can start feeling stuff going on, right? Like it's when you leave and step moving. away, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's when you leave them alone, they feel it almost more than when you're needling it. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's a, it like, hits a domino and things play out kind of. Yeah, the other day there was someone that like I think I needled I forget which one it was like either the stomach back shoe or spleen back shoe and they felt like warmth going to their stomach, like they mm. said like water. It felt like water was warm. Water was moving in their stomach. Yeah. So I thought that was, even though like yeah, when I was needling that point it. itself. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But when I was needling that point, it was just like oh yeah, I feel a little bit like a little soreness. But the after exactly. like you're saying over a few minutes, they're like oh I feel something. And, and so that's why for me, and I don't know if you do this. Uh, I think Dr. Wong did this as well. Uh, after I needle those back shoe points, I would, of course, put a TDP lamp also and allow, oh. you know, use the heat uh, to bring blood to, the, to that area too. And of course, as you know, what I'm doing as well is using a lot of topical uh, mm. Chinese herbs, what I call the marinade. So I'm using a little bit of a topical herbal plaster of warming and blood moving herbs. So sometimes mm. I might even put that after I've needled the back shoe point, I'll surround it with a little bit of a plaster of warming herbs and put the TDP lamp on it. 
So who knows? I mean, all the, those th three things together, then you leave the room and you come back and they feel the water in the stomach or something. So I do think okay. it helps, especially for a back, not to leave it exposed to the cold air. At least, definitely, at definitely, least yeah. put some heat on it. And I'm sure you probably do that too, right? You at least bring the lamp over and put it on there? Or? Um, I try to just keep them warm, like turn the heat up in the room. Or like, the whole room is warm. We have, yeah, or like cover them with some kind of, we have those really light sheets or um, the space blankets. Yeah, or I just put a lot of blankets around them so that they might not yeah. feel cold. And you have it. You have TDP lamp, right? You have those lamps. We do use them. Yeah, we uh, we yeah. do have them. I don't. Yeah. I guess I don't use them as much. I don't. Yeah, I use it as almost like the like the busy man's moxa in a way. I mean, I'm using it <laughs> to, to bring heat to bring blood to the organ of choice. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I'm using it. Yeah, it just seems to allow i mean a little bit of cold air on the back and the whole system shuts down a little bit i feel like so you got to mm -hmm. keep it warm too when needling these areas definitely definitely well uh that has been uh time flies when we're having fun here uh but uh <laughs> at the risk of overtaxing our audience's attention span uh and respecting all of your time we wanted to just do a really short discussion of these back shoe points with some clinical insight but john i don't want to cut you off if there's some like fascinating point that I'm forgetting to ask you about, about these back shoe points. We could, of course, talk about this for an hour and a half, too, probably. <laughs> no, I think that was good. I think that was a good summary of everything. I was, just, I was also curious just to hear how you use it clinically, too, because I know just um, that through our conversations that you do a lot of uh, examinations of the back shoe points for a lot of your patients. So I guess every, all of your patients. So I was kind of curious all, to know more yeah. about what you learned. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing, the one thing I guess we'll leave with is you once you start using distal channel palpation in the way we've been talking about in these podcasts and everywhere else you will be blown away by how often the back shoe palpation lines up with what you felt in the faraway channels it's just it's mm -hmm. at these organ levels uh top and bottom that there's just so much to find in the back and the really and, and when it doesn't line up at all it also is a maybe a sign that you need to reevaluate your diagnosis that is true i mean but it doesn't always have to line up but if it's totally finding stuff that didn't match, then maybe you knew, do need to rethink what you were doing. So there's that side as well to this. But most of the time, you'll be blown away. You can feel, uh, and of course, I'm putting a little extra effort looking at the level of the organs that I did distally. So maybe there is some sort of you know observation bias happening there. So it might be good to, to be palpating the back if I can just for a few minutes, even before I start doing the distal needle. So I need to think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> there are lots of things to, to test out, I think. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, so, John, thank you for staying up late here. It's after midnight in Beijing. Uh, and uh, it's really great to talk to you. And, of course, we'll be doing more of these. And uh, Definitely, definitely. Have a, have a good evening and a good sleep. And, thank uh, you. And thanks to everyone. Okay. Uh, and ha have a good day. Yeah. Have a good day. Oh, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> have a good night. All right. Bye. <laughs>